You can now get. I was in Boston last weekend. People pay money. And I'm at the airport, and I couldn't help but hear. Apparently, you can get direct flights now from Philadelphia to Tijuana. Huh? (laughs) What the heck? (laughs) When did that start? (laughs) Tijuana. I've. I know people that have been to Tijuana. I've never been there. I've been there. I've been. I've been to Mexico, but not Tijuana. Um, At least it's a fucking dump. Like, it's just an awful fucking place. Really dangerous. Yeah. 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 yeah, I would I would I would not recommend it under any circumstances whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I talked a little about this with uh, with Noah and Katie the other week, but I didn't watch many games after Christmas last year. I only watched like half a dozen because like it was so like everything was the same. You know, there was nothing more to learn, and none of the prospects were playing, and they're working hard, and they're winning, and it doesn't even matter. And, like, here we are, late November, and I'm at that point again already. I'm like, God, it just doesn't matter. I'm going to turn the game on, they're going to work hard, but there's no star power to watch that's going to produce highlight reel, anything worth seeing. The effort is fine, but, you know, the eff- it's fine for the first little while, but what does it matter? Like, who cares? You know, it's just, mm. here I am, and it's just funny, the same timing. It's right, you know, the, right, the holiday season starts up, and I'm just like, fuck this. I don't want to watch this team anymore. I've had enough of this nothing happening, none of your prospects playing hard work and bullshit. Yeah. I think that's exactly right, Dan. I I feel very similar to that, uh, and I, I totally understand that. And and the thing that's tough is like I I don't think the organization has done a good enough job convincing me that what they're doing now is meaningful or material to what's going on later. And simply saying that oh well well Torch is establishing a culture right now. It's like well what the fuck does that mean? And by the time this team is any good. You know, hypothetically, even five years from now, what 80 percent of the roster or more is going to be turned over at that point? It's going to be all new coaches. You know, why is that important? Why is it important for me as a fan to watch this team and see what kind of culture John Tortorella can establish? Like, I don't care about that. Like, like there's no star players. It's going to take a couple of years until Mitchkoff gets here. Um they're not really playing a lot of the young guys right now anyway. Um, I just can't really fully understand where this is going in the short term over the next one or two years. I don't get it. And it's just watching just to watch, you know, like I can normally tell where teams are at, you know, regardless of what sport we're talking about, I can kind of get a feel for what's going on, what direction they're heading in. And it kind of adds to, you know, you understand the narrative here, but I can't really get my mind around 
what's happening this season or next season. It's just, I don't know. And I think that creates a disconnect in like, why the hell do I want to watch this stuff? The, the interesting part about the culture discussion, I'm glad we're talking about this because I don't think it gets talked about enough. The interesting thing about the culture thing is how invested some fans are into this idea of culture. Well, well look, look at the Oilers. The Oilers don't have a one nothing. You know, look, look at the Coyotes. The Coyotes suck. Yeah. And like I, I get it, but like you're just we're, we are just fans. <laughs> like whether or not the players like each other, I really don't care. Yeah, what's going on behind the scenes doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't yeah. care. Like how, you know, who gets bag skated and who, uh, you know, showed up late for pre- like that. That's all cool stuff that I'd like to know. But I mean, is it going to change my life? No. Uh, but fans, especially the ones that are all aboard, you know, the whole Jonesy Briere thing, it's they're justifying like, you know, the winning, you know, we don't tank. And again, not advocating tanking. But it's about the entire time Jonesy has said we want to do this the right way. And going out and signing all these added veteran presence people uh, because of culture reasons, I don't know if that's necessarily doing things the right way, meaning a mid to long term plan, or if it's much more short term, which means right now, which again leads me to question the whole overall rebuild scenario and plan. It mm-hmm. seems every more and more we drill into this, it's all about right now. Mm-hmm. So, like, what are let's just tease it out. What are the residual lasting impacts? Let's say everything that Torts does is right and he's changed, changed the culture, you know, this year. Like, is there a residual impact that that has five years down the line? In my opinion, the answer is no. But. What say you guys? I guess theoretically, if they had a bunch of guys up like Forrester and Brink and Danoye and like they were actually playing their kids and they were instilling this culture in them, the idea is that they carried the baton after Torts is gone, right? You're kind of set the foundation of that base and move forward. But like hockey, I don't know. Does you look at a team like the Oilers who are doing good and they just shit a brick and they're falling apart, you know, does what happened last season matter? Does the culture they had two years ago matter when, you know, shit started hitting the fan and going south? No. New room, new league. Yeah, yeah, shit changed. Theoretically, shit's supposed to change in this league. So, like, in theory, what they're doing kind of makes sense, but it's deployed so poorly in such a short-term mentality here that I don't think that kind of thing works in the real world, you know? Like, maybe there are some aspects of his leadership that move on here, and, and if you have the right guys leading the team now, it can be better for the future, but... You know, this idea that you're rebuilding the standard of the Philadelphia Flyers and it's going to magically be here five years from now. Like, I don't think there's any real truth to that being a thing. Mm-hmm. And that's their whole thing right now. I mean, that's their main priority is to do that. That's like, that's number one on the list. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the Oilers. Like, last year, the Oilers were legit a fun team to watch. And especially that playoff run. They were really fun to watch. And you know what? They ended up losing out in the what, conference finals. Mm-hmm. But they made strides. And yeah, their big guys were their big guys. 
and they played a good solid team game and they had a you know a guy who was up for the rookie of the year and Stuart Skinner and they had all of this stuff going for them Bouchard is going to be anchoring their power play uh going forward and you know what and this year it fucking fell right off the rails real quick and they had, and the, and the coach got fired because of it and then one of the things that I think I heard Elliot Friedman saying when he's discussing the Oilers firing their coach. And by the way, shout out to Chris Knobloch, former assistant Oh, yeah. Coach. Unbelievable. Yeah, I saw that. That was just crazy. From I was like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. I mean, a complete, like, out of the blue, they didn't get any established guy. By the way, wouldn't John Tortorella be a great guy for the Edmonton Oilers? Oh, yeah. Those guys so. would be playing a, a structured defensive game. They'd help the goaltending out, be the best that it can be. And you know what? Up front, you let Dreisaitl and McDavid just. Yeah, they have so much talent. Want. They'd be able to be fine even in that kind of system, I think. Yeah. Right. And I mean, they've got guys that can check and stuff on their third and fourth line and whatever. And that like, that's a perfect place for a guy like Torts. Although I don't, I can't imagine he'd be like a, a West Coast Edmonton guy, um, a Prairie guy. He's not really a cowboy. Although he's got, <laughs> yeah. he likes the ranch, he likes the farm. But um, yeah, the the whole thing about culture is like that's a team that like people were picking them to win the cup, and they've been lousy. I know they've won three in a row now, but they're still at the bottom of their division with you know just above the Sharks. But I mean, yeah, the, this culture thing keeps getting brought up and brought up and brought up. And again, it's it's like, how bad was the actual culture that nobody was saying anything about it until we can't get enough of hearing about it right now? How bad was it? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they seem to be prioritizing that over over the roster players, like over yeah. actually who's on the team. Like, it's yep. like, okay, I would rather have a great culture and have, have these guys that are just going to spin the hamster wheel rather than, you know, making a move in a particular direction. It, like, that's the thing that, that just gets me. It's like, I don't give a shit about the culture. I honestly don't care about that right now. And it shouldn't Later, matter at this stage yes. anyway. Like, yeah, right. establish a foundation first and then worry about building a goddamn culture. You're building yes, a culture yeah. before there's anything in place for the future here. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It, it is. They are prioritizing culture. And like, I know I've heard people use the analogy that uh, coaching is a lot like teaching. And I've heard Mike Keenan say that. And I've heard other other famous coaches uh, say that kind of stuff. And like right now, I'm imagining John Tortorella in front of a, a you know, a classroom blackboard and everything. And he's <laughs> talking to, to the kids and the parents. And he's like, you know, Mrs. Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Johnny. He's a great kid. Great kid. He brings me a fucking apple every day. I mean, he can't do math worth his shit, but you know what? He's a great kid. He brings in great culture. You know, he cleans the blackboard for me every day. He's a great kid. He he can't do his uh, his subtraction or his multiplication tables, but goddamn, he's a great kid. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> good for the Flyers. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad they're doing it. I just don't. I Like I mentioned the question, I just don't think that there's a residual impact years down the line. I think that rosters have turnover, things change, locker rooms change, um, eras change. And I just don't think that, you know, whatever you establish now in this year of John Tortorella, I think will not really be felt 
years down the line. Maybe a little bit. You know, you may have, you know, a, a couple of guys on the roster that were here that, you know, operate in a certain way. But I think a lot of that is instilled in these guys anyway with kind of, you know, how they were brought up and how they prepare themselves and how they, you know, how they take being a professional seriously. And there is some of that. You know, I'm glad that Tortorella is establishing that. I just don't think that prioritizing it to the extent that they are and thinking that it's going to carry over into a new generation of Flyers hockey when and if they ever get good five plus years down the line is an absolute fool's errand and is ridiculous. You know, that is not what this team needs right now. Sure. They don't want to get out there and just get their asses kicked every night. But if that's your standard, then that's fucking ridiculous. This is the NHL. You know, you should be able to figure out what you're doing more, more precisely than that. And, and not just say, Oh, we just didn't get our asses kicked. Look, we got a great culture now. So fucking what, you know? So I don't know. I think that it, I think that the emphasis on that is misplaced. And I think that it is, it is delaying, um, the inevitable and taking pressure, uh, and scrutiny off of the real issue, which is how the hell is this actual roster going to get into a contention form? And like, I do think there is something to keeping some of these guys around for the purposes of leadership in the here and now, you know, like I think there are teams like Edmonton and Buffalo and Arizona that just refuse to add that kind of leadership, or they tore down too far and kind of struggle to, to build. Like, I do think there is some validation to that theory, but you know, I brought this up in the last episode. When the guys that were brought in for leadership purposes, when you have Atkinson, Lawton, Couturier, Hathaway, Delorier, you know, Walker and Sealer and some, like, all these guys, you know, that are here and stall, you have more leaders here, quote unquote, than there are young guys to pass their tradition on to in the first place. Mm-hmm. So it's like you, you counterbalanced it too hard. And, you know, there was a, Dale Weiss was on Nasty Knuckles a couple weeks ago. Yes. I, I've not listened to that yeah. episode, but I, I saw the clips out there that kind of went viral from him. And I mean, he trashed Dave Haxtell hard. He trashed Claude Giroux hard. And a lot of these regime. And I'm like, you know, that was always something we've talked about for a long time, which was like, there's something wrong in that room. But like, all those guys are gone. No, none of the. I mean, besides Sean Couture, he's still fucking here, and he'll be here forever. But all those guys, you know, Giroux's gone, Voracek's gone, Haxler, the coaching staff. Like, this is a completely different era. So there should be, like, I don't, is the room still that bad? Did they need this culture change? Was it guys like Provorov that was fucking all this up still? Like, I, I just, I don't even understand what it is they're trying to do, as we alluded to. <laughs> Fixing this culture problem before you even build the foundation of whatever it is you're going to work on the next few years feels like a very bass-ackwards kind of way to go about this. And I don't know, like at one point there probably was a lot of culture problems here, but what is it, why are you trying to go out of your way to this hard establish something right now at such a weird time to do so? I don't know. You, you want culture? Go to the fucking Louvre in Paris. <laughs> go to a cheese factory. <laughs> but yeah, the, the whole thing with our off-season though was to get rid of the the players that didn't belong. Yeah. They traded Hayes, who was, by all accounts, a bad seed in that locker room, and they didn't like guys that Farabee and stuff hanging out and learning from him, right? They got rid of him. Provorov, standoffish, didn't interact with, you know, teammates, whatever, kind of was a sourpuss. And then the whole Pride Night thing didn't you know give him any fans in that in that locker room especially with scott lawton and, and other guys there and i'm sure they handled themselves professionally but let's face facts 
deep inside, they're thinking, I can't believe that I'm playing with this guy. They got rid of him. So it should have been an addition by subtraction thing where you're getting rid of the bad stuff. And then you let these young players or the players that are here now foster their own identity and their own culture. And instead, what you had was an offseason where, you know, it's like anabolic steroids. They're just (laughs) shoving the leadership testosterone into this locker room with the Garnet Hathaways and Mark Stalls and all these veterans here that that should have been enough just getting rid of the bad uh, influences. I think that's right on many. I think that's right on. It's just this is overcorrection, I guess. I, I'm not sure what the impetus was, but it really is John Tortorella effect. I mean, he's the guy who's running the show. You know, he was up in the press box with DB at the end of the season for a couple of games. Didn't feel like he had to be on the bench for a little while there. And um, I just don't know where where John's taking this ship for us. You know, I'd like to ask him. All right, John, what's your What's your plan for three years from now? Where do you see this roster? You know, specifically, don't just give me platitudes about it, but where do you see this roster specifically? And like, I want to know because I don't know if he's thinking that far ahead. And if he's not thinking that far ahead, then what the fuck is the general manager doing right now? So it's, you know, it's like it didn't work in Columbus for him. You know, that team, you know, we go back to that all the time, but that's, you know, a recent example. And he was there for what, eight years or something. Something And You know, that was a really I mean, I would not consider his time there successful at all. Was he there for a long time? Yes. The team went absolutely nowhere. And and there are certain times where they had reasonable talent on that team, but they didn't go anywhere. They didn't do anything. And I I guess the torts got along with Yarmo and, you know, they had a great relationship there. That's fantastic. But, you know, the results were just blah. Like, what was the point of that era? What the hell was the freaking point? And I'm afraid that's going to happen here uh, with the Flyers is that they are going to be a, a Blue Jackets duplicate. A um, hardworking team that sits on the bubble. They may make it. They probably won't. They, you know, they're going to. It's just like that's, that's what they're doing. That appears to be the end game right now. It really does, Dan. You know, I mean, their crowning achievement was a sweep of the Tampa Bay Lightning, what, like five years ago or something in the first round. It's like big fucking deal. Look, if if that's the best you're going to do, then I don't want any part of that. And that seems to be where where he's going to max out with this team. There's just too much incongruency with what's happening on it. And, um, you know, like I said, I just don't see where the light is in the next couple of years. I'd like to see what Torts has to say about it, but, you know, we'll never get an answer. No, he wouldn't answer that anyway, because he would purposely give you an answer like, I'm here to answer questions about today. Fuck three years from now. I yeah, I got to check yeah. the video. Yeah. It's just, uh, I don't know. I just, uh, I hate this. I hate the feeling of like watching them do something that feels so wrong. <laughs> it's like, it's lost. It's just, it's like Hextall all over again. It is wrong. It's like, it is. It, we're going to sit here and just call for a rebuild, but never actually rebuild. Draft a bunch of players. Like, I do think Brent Flair's drafting on the whole is significantly better than whatever Hextall and Pryor are doing, which is the only chance of saving grace here. But if all of these secondary guys, your Brinks and Adders and, you know, whatnot, Denoyers, are shut out from this team via the, ha- via the hand of, of John Tortorella... 
kind of defeats the purpose. You know, you're going to bank on one or two guys, and, you know, if Gautier doesn't sign with this organization or if Mitchkov is kidnapped in Russia and one of those two or both of them never show up, you are fucked. <laughs> you know, which is still a possibility. Oh, yeah. This is a college kid. It's not unlike, it's not uncommon for them to say, nope, I don't want to play here. I want to go play with the New York Rangers or wherever the fucking Christ Cutter Gautier is mm-hmm. from. You know, and we just saw this happen with, you know, Ivan Fedotov. You know, who knows, man? It's just, you're, even the two things that you're trying to build your theoretical future on are not sure things yet. Until they are under contract in the city of Philadelphia playing in the Wells Fargo Center every night. I don't even give a fuck about Gautier and Mitchkov because it doesn't matter. Denver Barkey doesn't matter. Roddick Bonk doesn't matter. Oliver Bonk, whatever the crisis name is, doesn't matter. None of it matters until they are here and succeeding. And when they're here and they're sitting in the fucking press box every night because Garnet fucking Hathaway's under contract and just needs to play, doesn't do it for me. I'm over this shit. I just want to rebuild. Yeah. And if you're not going to rebuild, then fucking try and win some games. And that's just as unlikely. They're not going to bring in Nylander. They're not going to bring in Lindholm. They're not going to bring in Hannafin. They're not going to bring in Peterson and Zegers and trade for whoever the fuck they want. It doesn't matter. They're not going to be here. They're going to run this shit back. <sighs> but, but there's a poison pill in their plan. Can I fucking have it? The poison pill is they've taken on so much money in contracts from Kevin Hayes, uh, Cal Peterson, Cal Tony D'Angelo, Tony D. You know what? If they, if they wanted to go out and splurge and land a free agent, could they? Cause I don't think they can. I mean, if they sold Not this their year. players first, they, yeah, they have issues. Mm-hmm. Right. But then you can't sell. You can't sell Walker. You can't sell Lawton. They're indispensable. You need them. They're part of this team moving forward. That's the whole. That's the whole quagmire that we're in, where you have to literally cut bait and say, you know what? Sorry, you've been here for how long? It's kind of the, the time's ready for you to move on. And that's it. You know, you can't keep asking these guys like Travis Sanheim, you know, you, I want to stay here. I want to stay here for six more years or seven oh, more God. years. And it's like, dude, the player shouldn't dictate that. It's ultimately the team first that says, you know what? Do we want this player? Yes or no. If the answer is yes, then you negotiate with that player. And then you come to an agreement that works for both sides. If it's, we don't want this guy. It's, oh, come on, I'll sign a seven-year deal to stay with you guys. Come on. Oh, okay, let's just sign you before the before the season even starts. You're early. Oh, yeah. You go. <laughs> yeah, there was, uh, oh, God, there was Sam Carcini, uh, who I do love, but he's got, he's got some interesting articles sometimes, had something about Travis Sandheim recently, and it was basically saying, like, Oh, oh, we're so glad that that they never made that trade. And this is, you know, it's so great to have him on the team because he's he's had a pretty decent start to the season here. And I'm like, the whole hold your horses, man. Hold your horses on this. There's at least there's... an interesting theory to that one, being that like when it came to Konechny and Lawton, those were two guys at the peaks of their career that you refused to sell. Sanheim was coming off of an incredibly shit season on his new shit contract, and value was low. So, theoretically, and I, I did not read this article, but I did see the headline, and it fucking pissed me off. I didn't have time to read it today. But, like, if you're going to then try and sell Sanheim, which I still am not convinced they're going to do, 
next summer, would be, if he can keep up this playoff season, the summer would be the time to do it, or the trade deadline. We can try and flip that contract. It's more reasonable now. Now you got something, okay, his value's high, is there. If we're going to celebrate Sanheim and go, oh my god, he can be our number one defenseman now. Fuck that! But it's what's going to happen. I mean, they're not going to trade Sanheim. It's so short-sighted, too, yep. because we'll... You know, is he... Is He'll he inevitably regress, guys? and then we'll be yeah. in trouble again. Is he going to be on your top pair when, when this team thinks they're going to be good in, you know, five or six years? I mean, no, I don't think so. Maybe, but, I mean, can you predict that if you have, you know, a path forward by getting shouldn't rid be of him? on your top pair anytime, ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just, and then, and then Sanheim had a quote where he said something of the effect of, like, oh, like... I really wanted to be here and like all the stupid cliches. It's like, dude, you were offered a freaking total gift a year early and you knew that you weren't going to get that on the open market. And I don't think he would have, especially after that shit season that he had, and you're not going to get the no trade clause in there. And he's just like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. We'll do it right now, right now. So he did it. And he got this ridiculous contract. So it's like, I don't want to hear it. It's like, oh, this is the only place I wanted to be. And I loved it. <laughs> Why the fuck would you love being here so much? The team has gone through years of just horrendous turmoil during the entire time that he's Tortorella been treated him like shit last year, too. So, like, there's nothing to that. Like, that is a complete fucking lie. I just loved it here. It's like, dude, the team sucked. And the future is murky at absolute best. Why on earth would you want to fucking be? You're not even from this area. You're from fucking uh, the Calgary area. Like, what is so appealing about the Flyers? Nothing except they gifted you a fucking huge ass contract. That's it. The the Travis Sanheim thing's interesting to me because they were burning this guy in effigy freaking like three months ago. And there, everyone was saying how terrible it was that we didn't trade him. And all it takes is how many games have they played? Eight, seven, and one, 16 games. Yep. <laughs> and listen, I'll admit it. He's played really well. But I'm sorry. You can call me an asshole. People can call me negative. People can say whatever they want at Manny Benavidez. And then you know what? <laughs> I got a nice picture that I'll tweet you after. I'm a nice fucking turd. But <laughs> I, after 17 or 16 games, I'm sorry. I'm still not giving the guy leash. He's yeah. having a good year. There's no question about it, but you are stone cold crazy. If you wouldn't pick up a phone right now. And if a team offered you stuff for Travis Sanheim and first round pick and prospect, you do it hundred times out of a hundred. He's not, he's not a top pairing defenseman. He's playing like one right now. Can he keep this up or is he inevitable? He's never been able to. Yeah. He's always, he's had a hot year before. Two years ago. Yeah. And then what happened? Wheels fell right off. Went cold and went back to being shit. Like he has in all eight years of his career thus far. And that's the whole thing with this team, with this franchise that I don't want. I don't want to see guys succeed for one year and then fall on their face the next year. I want to see progression. I want to see sustainability. I want to see top line guys remain top line guys for not one, not two, three, four, five years down the line. That's the goal of what I want this team to build. And that's what I'm not seeing them build and get ready for when Matt Vemichkov comes over. They're putting a lot of eggs in that basket saying, here you go, kid, go for it. And he is talented and he's great. 
But that's not fair to the kid to do that. This team's got to be ready for when he comes over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, 17 games in, it's like, oh, we were so wrong about Sandheim. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the contract is completely worth it now. It's like, yeah. oh, oh, you got to be. What are you looking at? What sort of idiotic? Like, if that's the way that uh, that that you people, however these people are that are doing this, like if that's the way you people analyze things in life, how the fuck do you survive in this world? You <laughs> must be an absolute idiot. <laughs> oh God. That that is how they look at things though. Yeah. That's why we couldn't trade Nick Sealer. That's why we couldn't yeah. trade Scott Lawton. Mm-hmm. That's why we can't do anything of substance because this fan base and this organization, they take cues from each other and there's a paralysis where like whatever happened in the last 10 games, well, that must be how the next hundred games is going to go. Yep. <laughs> yeah, the, the, right. you know, that, that must be, this player is going to end his career in Philadelphia and we're going to hang a banner yeah. and retire his number. And it's like, it's 17 games. Relax. And that's part of the problem with the, the Tyson Forrester thing. It was it eight games last year and he got what? Seven goals or seven points, points in eight games last year. I think it was. Yeah. Right. And people automatically had it in their head that, oh, yeah, this guy's scoring. There, Dude, there, how many people had articles saying Tyson Forster could be rookie of the year? Yep. I saw those. There was a lot of I them. Said, yeah. And I said, that's really bad. You can't be building up guys and setting them up because then the second that the results don't come, they become public enemy number one. And that's exactly <sighs> what happened. Bobby Brink's the golden goose right now. And then you're leading him. Dude, well, uh, what's the guy? Cates. Noah Cates was, oh, he's going to win the Selkie. He's going to be <laughs> yeah. this amazing second-line center. Dude, offensively. He hasn't done dick this year. Yeah. Like, but everybody hyped him to the point yep. where, oh, yeah, he's going to be a Selkie winner. And it's like, stop. Stop. Let the guy play. Let him be who he's going to be. Instead, we're trying to shoehorn these guys to being things that they're not, or certainly not they can't be for a long, sustained period of time. They can be it in flashes here and there. Not cool. And this fan base is fucking guilty as sin of doing this. Yep. They did it with Morgan Frost. They did it with Provorov. We all did it with, with all these players. Carter it's the Hart- way to justify not adding outside talent. You can't add William Nealander. You got Tyson Forrester who had seven points in eight games. He's clearly going to replicate that. We can't, you know, get rid of Sean Couturier. We, we, it's just, it's the same fucking thing with every player. It's how you justify not having to get better is when you overhype your own players. And when they inevitably come shit, you sit here and wonder, man, Nolan Patrick was a bust. Man, Travis Sanheim was a bust. No, man, Ivan Prover was a bust. And it's like, no, they did what they were probably going to do. It's just you overhyped the fuck out of these guys. Morgan Frost, Claude Giroux Jr., two point per game in juniors in his fucking D plus two year. And you know what? I was in the building in his first AHL game and he was shit. I watched his entire AHL career. Shit. There was never anything there that said this guy was going to have a career at the professional level. Nothing. Nothing close. And you know what? He hasn't been fucking anything in the NHL because of course not. But if you ban those last 35 games of the 22-23 season, because if you include the first fucking half of the season, it makes them look like shit. 
we're still trying to fit that square peg in that round hole for so many of these guys. Tyson Forster, man, he's not scoring. You know what? Forster's playing great fucking hockey. It's the reason he hasn't been scratched yet. You think if John Tortorella didn't like what Tyson Forster was doing that he would be in the lineup every night right now? I'm fucking course not. He would have been scratched. would have been scratched fucking five games into the season like Bobby Brink. But you know what? He's playing well. He's doing his thing. doesn't matter that he's not scoring. It'll come with time, maybe, hopefully, sooner or later. If they had any fucking talent around them to help him with, it'd be even better. But I don't know. It's just this fucking... <coughs> oh, I'm going to destroy my voice yelling. It's overhyping this prospects. I'm just fucking... Can't believe we're still doing it after all these years. Especially when it's dead and gone. Frog for five fucking years in the Morgan Frost professional career. He's 24. We're still pretending like this guy's a rookie. This was the thing with Sanheim earlier in the year as well. It was the first like five games of the year where they're like, oh man, this young up and comer. And they're talking about him like he's fresh out of fucking college or something like that doing his thing. I'm like, he's 28 <laughs> for year, God's sake. Fuck off. Oh my God. Well, they still get their mommies to call them to make sure that they're okay. So there's that. There's that. I'm sure John Tortorella loved hearing that. <laughs> oh, my toilet, God. The, the toilet seat's mother fucking called to make sure he was okay. Because he, he was sitting, you know, getting getting paid six figures or seven figures to sit upstairs and eat popcorn. Yeah, at least five figures every game to sit up and eat popcorn. Hell of a life.